You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing okay. I've recovered from the emotional roller coaster that was the Bucks-Bulls game on Friday night. Um, I, uh, I cannot not- imagine what this pot... You would have demanded we record this on friday night at 12 30 if the bucks lost that game because i cannot even imagine how upset you would have been and how angry you would have been with the Milwaukee bucks oh i wouldn't have wanted a podcast that, that I'll, I'll say that much i would have <laughs> not wanted um there was a I, I frequently like one of my like nervous like fan things i do is when i'm watching like i'll hold a pillow like i've got these okay. pillows and i'll hold a pillow um like clutch it um and at one point after one of justin holiday's fifteen thousand first quarter or first half three pointers i slammed i took it with like two hands and i slammed it on the ground um and then another time um i was like Giannis was going to the foul line and uh, I don't know if this was when he was like three for eight or what he was at that point mm-hmm. or no, he, he, uh, he had, he, I think it was right before that. And I told my wife, I was like, if he misses like both these free throws, I'm going to scream into this pillow. And, uh, <laughs> I think he was three out of six of the time and then he missed two free throws. And then I, it was somewhat performative. Um, but I, I did actually scream into the pillow. <laughs> uh, cause my wife always like, um, tells me like to, you know, be careful. Cause like our daughter's always like, just, you know, kind of crawling around doing stuff while we're watching basketball games. And if I like get really angry at the basketball game, like she can sense like something's bad. So then she gets upset. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the first half was not great for, for, uh, for my mental health. Um, uh, and I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I guess I'm not, I'm not sure if we were going to see another game that embodies the tale of two halves thing quite as much as, as that game, uh, tough. losing what I believe it was 63 to 41 late in the first half before they scored the last four. Um, so a 22 point deficit late in the first half, an 18 point halftime deficit, and they nearly come back. I know Kevin Pelton apparently uh, tweeted something out during the game that like the biggest margin of victory in a game in which a team trailed by 18 points or more at halftime was 20 and the bucks just fell short of that so um nearly a historic uh you know turnaround type performance with the bucks um not looking so great in the first half against the very injury depleted and just generally bad chicago bulls um but thankfully uh you know the third quarter came around and the bull, the bucks just basically crammed all of, you know, the, the normal, like 
ass whipping that they would put on the Bulls. They basically crammed all of that into the third quarter, which is, you know, whatever. <laughs> Better late than never. Yeah. It, I mean, that was a really strange game. Um, Justin Holiday going six for six in the first half from three. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of a more more extreme outlier performance than that. And I mean, I'm I'm struggling because that is that is really something uh, for him just to to go out and do that. I was I was not at all ready for that. He's a 35 percent career three point shooter. He's had he's had some years where, you know, he's he's hit some shots, but. I mean, a six for six was something. Jabari Parker, I think, hit his first three threes as well. So those two start nine of nine uh, from beyond the three-point line. Uh, Blakeney, did he add two? Were his two three-point makes in the first half as well? I think it might have. He had some shots that made me very sad uh, in the first (laughs) half. Because really, who the F is Antonio Blakeney? Um, I mean, Ryan Archidiacono also hit a three, I think, in that first half. It was just a bad... It was just a bad yeah. scene. And I mean, when you look at it in the end, like, okay, so Jabari's three for three in the first half, or it was three for three in the first half until he missed that last one at the buzzer. Uh, he goes on to miss two more threes in the second half. Uh, Justin Holiday six for nine on the night. So after starting six for six, he misses his final three. Archie Diacono made his one, missed five others. Uh, Zach Levine, one of five from three. Uh, let's see who else. Blakeney was two for four from deep. So he ends up missing, I think, his final two as well. So like <laughs> all just threes raining in. And uh, I think to me, the biggest takeaway from all of this was. <laughs> was Mike Boonholzer's mood after the game? Uh, we we get to post game and, you know, like. Uh, Mike Boonholzer is not a fan of cliched questions. Um, you know, being from the pop tree, like, uh, I think he, he would kind of laugh at the idea of, you know, like what was the message like at halftime? Um, because you know, the message is you guys suck right now. Play better. Like what the hell is wrong with you? You're letting the bulls beat you. Uh, so, you know, being the smart guy that I am, I decide, you know, let's open with a joke instead because he's going to hate that question. So let's 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 open with a with a joke and say, you know, it, what was your message at the half and are you planning on saving that for future use? And he just like kind of looks at me and he's I don't want to say he rolls his eyes, but it, it was pretty close to disgust and he just goes on to talk about all the things that they were doing wrong at the time and you know, all the things that they needed to do better in the second half and I mean proceeds to have I think the most angry post game conversation we've had with him this entire year. And they won the game by 19. And it, it, again, like what being the bulls by 19 is not any sort of accomplishment, but it's a pretty clean and tidy victory. Uh, it, it's one that, you know, they took a securitous route to, um, but they got there and they ended up winning by almost 20 points. Uh, you're able to take the starters out late. And it was just so interesting to me how upset he still was at the time. And then, you know, just kind of talking to all the players after the game, like asking them, okay, you know, obviously Bud wasn't happy. Like when you come in at the half, you know, who are some of the players that like are kind of trying to get in your ear? Like who's the loudest voice? And Eric Bledsoe just like laughing and was like, Bud. 
for sure, bud. And it was like, okay. And then asking Giannis, like, oh, you know, buds still seem pretty upset post game. Like, what was halftime like? And him just like getting real big in his eyes and being like, oh, he was mad. Like, okay, yeah, I, I could see it. But, you know, like, I, I think it just speaks to, uh, you know, kind of the professionalism of Mike Boonholzer and speaks to his expectations because, you know, like we've seen over the years, we've seen this Bucks team allow the Bulls to be like in games. And at the end of it, it you would talk to Jason Kidd and just kind of be a shrug like, oh, you know, things weren't going our way in the first half, but we got 40 out of Giannis and, you know, he just he just ended up carrying us and what a great performance by him. And, uh, you know, in this situation, Bud just like, we're terrible. Like it, this was awful. It was unforgivable. We, we should not be like, okay. It, it, I just thought that, that to me stuck out so much that, you know, that is what he expects of his team and just beating the bulls by 19 and playing a trash first half, like just isn't acceptable to him. Yeah, I mean, if ever there was going to be a game where you wouldn't be happy in a blowout win, it, it was tonight because they were... And I don't know, I mean, what... In the first half, like, what... like what, what or, or, or looking at, like, what kind of what Bud talked about, I mean, what was... Like, how, how would you describe the issues? Because obviously, like, to some extent, there was obviously guys shooting better than they normally would, right? I mean, Jabari Parker has 15 points in the first quarter only scores four the rest of the way. I think he was like, um, I think he started like six out of eight or something like that. And then, um, you know, like, or did he have 20? I think he had 21 points. So I think he started like six out of eight and then he goes like three, four, 11 the rest of the way. So, I mean, some of this was, you know, there were some like Jabari had sort of some like Giannis kind of like was daring him a little bit to shoot. Like Giannis was yep. definitely conceding like, jump shots to him and over the rest of the game that kind of ended up working out i mean jabari didn't really have an efficient scoring night in spite of um hitting all those shots early um but i thought like there was like almost like a level of desperation a little bit because it's like i don't know if like you want to account it to like not matching the energy or something i mean i think you can probably guess that if you're down 22 to the bulls like you're not matching their energy probably like it's not like, Oh, we're playing really hard and it's just not bouncing our way. I mean, no, you're, you're doing some things wrong. Um, and it seemed like it was, I thought one of the most interesting things was they were like definitely trying to get more aggressive, especially in the second quarter. I don't know when it started. Um, but like, you know, even Brooke Lopez was like coming way high on pick and rolls and, um, like Wendell Carter, um, I mean, it wasn't just uh, counting to him, but I mean, Wendell Carter did not shoot a single three tonight, but made really good decisions. I thought, like as the kind of short roll guy, um, and you know, it, I, it was like a little weird because it's like Levine didn't like kill them, but it seemed like they wanted to get the ball out of like Levine's hands at times. They just wanted to like I don't know, like throw some different looks at the Bulls, and especially in that first half, I mean, they had no problems like navigating anything the Bucks did defensively, whether it was, you know, zone dropping or trying to be more aggressive. Like, I don't know, nothing really seemed to, uh, to, to spook the bulls too much. And, um, you know, they just moved the ball around and got good looks or Jabari kind of, you know, got dared by Giannis who kind of laid off him a little bit. And, um, there definitely was some like, well, you know, the bulls made a bunch of shots, but then also, um, just a weird, 
weird game. I mean, like Giannis, it didn't seem like Giannis wanted to attack Jabari at all. Like every time he had Jabari one on one, he got a screen, which is just like I know Jabari. Thank you. Yes, I know Jabari is like a really bad help defender, and he's like awful in pick and roll. But like Giannis, seriously, like why are you not like just trying to like murder this guy one on one? Like I don't know. It was it was just weird. I thought there was a lack of ruthlessness yeah. to Jabari Parker, like uh, from the court, entire court team. Jabari Parker, yeah, yeah. Like uh, just like no one, like there was no one. I mean, think about how many times you saw Jabari Parker brutalized last year by an offense. <laughs> like, just think about it. Like, teams would do everything they could to put him in all of the action. And like, I just remember watching that first half, and I was like, Jabari's not involved in any of this defensively. Like, you're just letting him stand around. And like, you you all know you played with him for the last three years or four years or uh, however long you were on this team. Like, you played with him. You know what happened. Like, why why wouldn't you make him defend three pick and rolls in uh, in a single possession? And I don't know. To me, that really stood out. So I'm happy you said the exact same thing. And I, I mean, you you had kind of directed at Giannis, but like, I mean, I just thought period. It was like, why is Jabari Parker not in every pick and roll right now? Like that's, I mean, that's, I know that's what I would do. And again, I mean, that speaks to, you know, Mike Boonholes are not necessarily, you know, kind of thinking through like, Oh, this is how we're going to beat this specific opponent. Like we're going to worry about what we do, but that just stood out to me the whole first half. I was like, what the hell? Like, isn't this, uh, isn't this like game plan? pretty pretty foolproof uh, haven't we seen this uh for a while now like uh so th- so that kind of messed with my head and then i thought the other thing was i mean they were just so damn sloppy with the ball yeah like that i, I think i think they had 10 turnovers by like halfway through the second quarter they end the game with 17 so they clean it up in the in the final half of the second quarter and then the final two periods but I mean, like there, there's just too many turnovers. Like there's, there's no need to work that hard against the Bulls. Like they, it just felt like endlessly sloppy play uh, in that first half, and you know that that makes it kind of everything you do more difficult. Like if you're turning the ball over, obviously you're not going to score offensively, but defensively it makes you tougher. It makes it tougher on that end. Like, and again. Uh, you don't count on Justin Holiday hitting all these threes, but you know when he gets two threes that he can just walk into in transition, one off the catch and then one on a dribble. Like, okay, the dude was ready four for four from three. Like for him to hit five and five and six on pretty much uncontested threes, like yeah, that's unacceptable. And why it happens is because you turn the ball over. Like if you are sloppy and you are not taking care of the basketball, like I think, I think that can kind of happen. Uh, so to me, it was one, some outlier shooting. Like, I mean, uh, Jabari Parker scored in the ways that Jabari Parker scores. Like this wasn't the bulls really pulling out some, some crazy sets to get Jabari open. It was like Jabari gets the ball in his hands and dribbles and holds it and then shoots and they went in. Uh, So I think you can largely live with those, especially as you mentioned, as Giannis was essentially daring him uh, to do so. And then, you know, you don't take care of the basketball. It makes everything harder defensively. I was trying to think there was one, there's one situation where they got cross matched. I'm trying to think who it was on. Um, but it was like a turnover and they got cross matched and there was just, they were never going to win that possession defensively because they were recovering. They were all mixed up 
and it was because of turnovers. So to me, that that was what stood out in the first half was a a lack of ruthlessness towards Javari Parker, uh, turnovers, and then some outlier shooting. And then the third quarter came. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, what was it? Lopez gets them off with three and, uh, you know, just Bucks just kind of, looking more like the, I mean, it just looked a lot more like what we're, what we've gotten used to. And um, I, I mean, a 46 to 17 third quarter. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what this team is capable of doing now, which, you know, previous years we, we obviously have, have not seen so much. Um, and, you know, Bledsoe was uh, terrific. I mean, I thought it was kind of fitting that he hits that, um, pull up three at the buzzer to end the third quarter. He finishes with 25 on just 13 shots, hit three of five threes, um, four rebounds, six assists, three steals, a block plus 19. Um, Middleton with one of the quiet, quietest, almost triple doubles that you're going to see. Um, 23 points on 15 shots, 10 rebounds, eight assists, a couple steals. I didn't even like realize he was like threatening for a triple double. Um, and Giannis uh, struggling from the foul line. I, it's kind of weird. He's uh, this is strange. In the boxer I'm looking at, he's credited as only going five for nine from the foul line. I thought he went five for ten, but um, either way, 23 points on 15 shots. Did hit two out of four threes, including on the very first possession. Um, they were both catch and shoot threes, right? Yes, they were. I think if I remember correctly, yeah. Um, 13 rebounds, four assists, three blocks. I didn't even catch the third block. Um, so a rare situation where. <laughs> Um, I actually am like pleasantly surprised at the number of blocks. Um, so I, I'm not saying that he was given one he didn't deserve because I, I can't imagine the box scorekeeper would do that. But, and you would never um, say I'm, that no matter if, if they no, put 10 no, no, no. in the box score, you'd be like, oh yeah, I think you had 10. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did have another four turnover game. So that whole turnover issue, I think like two or three of those were, I think the game in the first quarter. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean the, the three, obviously, big names for the Bucks were very good. It really was the starters that, that carried the load tonight. Um, this was the first night without John Henson or Dante DiVincenzo. Obviously, Henson. Um, I'm trying to think. Have we? We've not talked we about talked it. Since no. Yeah. So, so Henson is out for 12 weeks, um, which is, you know, obviously unfortunate for John. I mean, you know, he, he obviously had come in, was hitting threes, you know, was I think a nice story for him kind of reinventing himself a little bit uh, with Mike Budenholzer. Um, but look, I mean, big man depth was something that, you know, again, like I'm, I'm not going to say the Bucks are ready to lose Brooke Lopez for any extended period of time at this point, because they're definitely not. Um, but, you know, Thon maker has been waiting um, and, you know, has had a, a couple moments when he's gotten some minutes early in the season uh, and he got some, some run 18 minutes. Uh, three out of seven from three, zero for three on twos, nine points, three rebounds, um, was a plus three and had a very nice block against Zach Levine. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was, I think, um, a, a first test for the Bucks with uh, missing a couple of regular rotation guys. Pat Connaughton was one of the beneficiaries minutes wise. He actually has been playing really well. Um, didn't really make zero for three on three uh, on Friday. Did have seven rebounds, four assists, plus 14, which was the best of any of the bench guys. Tony Snell, 11 points on seven shots against his four. And a hammer dunk. Um, yeah, a great, nice little show and go from the from the corner for a dunk. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was really the the starters that that carried the load. Um, and, and that's a bit interesting because the starters have been one of the kind of 
bad. <laughs> I don't want to say bad, but like the the starting lineup has really not been particularly. I think they're like plus six points per one hundred right now, and the Bucks overall, I think, are about plus twelve points per one hundred, which is you know basically the opposite of a year ago when the starters were good and the bench was just you know everything kind of completely fell apart when you went to kind of your random bench lineups. Um, but yeah, there were definitely uh, you know Brogdon has been scoring well of late. Um, but this game, uh, he ended up with 13 points on 12 shots, but it felt like there was a lot of, you know, kind of Malcolm Brogdon dilly dallying with the ball, uh, at times. Um, he suffered from that also against Memphis and, um, you know, Bucks are, I think, let's see, I was just looking this up. They are plus 24 points per 100 when Malcolm Brogdon does not play this year. Um, and I think that's, you know, we've mentioned that early in the season and then Brogdon kind of started playing better. Um. So I don't know. Again, it's one of these interesting things to watch because it just does not seem like the team plays its best basketball when Brogdon is out there um, with the starters. We'll see. They're still plus five points for 100 when Brogdon is on the court. So it's not like they're like getting killed or something with Brogdon on the court. Um, but I think that's one of those things I'm curious to see. I don't I don't really anticipate um, Bud making a change soon, but they've <laughs> had some really slow starts and it's getting pretty annoying um how like they just inevitably seem to fall behind early in games and obviously this was like an extreme example because they like pretty much got blasted the entire first half but um starts have my mentions feel a little bit differently about that topic than you do frank my mentions think it is a travesty that malcolm brogdon is starting that Mike Boonholzer should see the error of his ways and fix it immediately. Um, which I, I think it's this really, as you're kind of pointing to, it's this really interesting thing where, you know, the Bucks have the best net rating in the league. And I get, I get the, the thought of, you know, being annoyed by slow starts. And I mean, we've all asked the players about it a million times and none of them seem to have an answer for it. And, you know, like when Brogdon is struggling, I think the clear answer is, okay, let's take, you know, let's take Malcolm Brogdon out, throw someone else in and, you know, then you should be, you should be okay. But I don't know. It's, it's this weird thing that, you know, is that a a situation where you're fixing something that ultimately, uh, doesn't need to be fixed like okay maybe you fix the starts but then that means the the second quarter is terrible and that's been a quarter where you've been really good and i I don't know i i'm totally fascinated too by it i I think it's it's really interesting to think that a team that is as good as the bucks have been this year and a a starting lineup that is as talented as one they have just consistently starts slow and i mean like i I don't think it's just like a Brogdon issue. Like I think it's blood. So I think it's Giannis. I think it's Chris. Like they, they just don't seem to get out of the blocks early and then it'll be, you know, it's going to be a bud timeout three minutes in. And I don't know if Bud's going to yell at him in, in the, in the timeout or talk to him or whatever he does. But like almost always they come out on an ATO and, and hit hit a shot. The typically they get like a three for Middleton or Bledsoe or Brooke Lopez. Like they get a three for someone, and then they're kind of back off and running. Uh, but there have been some first quarters where it's just terrible for a longer stretch. It's past that timeout. It's to the second timeout, or it, it's all the way through the quarter. And I don't know. It 
it's really weird to me because I don't really have an answer. Um, like there, to me, there's not something I kind of point to and say, "Oh yeah, that's the reason why they have the bad start." Like let's let's do this thing to fix it. I don't know. Like I. I don't have a good answer for it. Uh, uh, it, It's just such a weird thing with this team. Yeah, they're um, just looking at the the quarter-by-quarter numbers for this team. Um, And and Alex Boder wrote about uh, the Bucs' kind of second-quarter dominance. But by quarter, they are minus 1.6 net rating in first quarters plus 29 points per 100 in second <laughs> quarters, plus 10.2 in third quarters, plus 7.0 in fourth quarters. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, to, to, to have one quarter where you're slightly negative and the remaining where you just, you know, dominate <laughs> um, is, is a pretty good place to be, but obviously it's uh, first world probs. Yeah, certainly first world um you know, top 1% probs. Um, so, uh, but it's, it's interesting to watch. I mean, and fundamentally, I mean, one of the things that the Bucks have to decide here, you know, flash forward to next summer is, all right, Brooke Lopez, free agent, no bird rights. Got to use your mid-level to be able to bring him back. Eric Bledsoe, unrestricted free agent. You have bird rights, but he's going to be 29. Um, and Malcolm Brogdon, restricted free agent, how good is Malcolm Brogdon? How much are you willing to pay for him going into, I think he'll be 26 next season or whatever he is, right? And, you know, I mean, 60% of the starting lineup has to get new contracts next year the way it currently constructed. And so I think there's it's very natural to have this debate over like, you know, okay, Malcolm Brogdon is a really nice piece on, you know, when he's making less than $2 million a year what's the number at which you're not so thrilled with him, right? Um, or, yep. uh, and does he have to start at that number or can he be a bench guy or, or, you know, what do you, what do you feel like about him? Right. Um, you know, we saw that with Tony Snell where Snell was, you know, cheap and a nice surprise. And then he got a big contract and, you know, he's no longer starting this year, but fortunately he's playing much better. And so, and obviously there are different types of players, but um, but you know, this is the tough thing, right? And we always talk about like the, giving those guys, you know, big contracts. I mean, Malcolm Brown's going to get paid something. He's not going to get $5 million a year, right? I don't know if he's going to get 15 million. I don't know if he's going to get, is it closer to 10 million? I don't know, but, um, it's going to be a big number. And, you know, especially with the way the rest of the bucks payroll is shaking out that, you know, there may be a decision of saying, you know what? we're sticking with Brogdon and maybe they don't bring back blood. So, or maybe they have a low number at which they're willing to keep him, and he goes someplace else. And so um, I think as we watch this, I think um, I am, you know, like a lot of people, I, I mean, again, like I'm not looking for reasons to hate on Brogdon because um, he's done a lot of things really well um, early in the season and, you know, his ability to, to create, you know, off the dribble and get himself to the rim um, has been impressive um, for long stretches. And, you know, he's hitting threes at a high rate again, um, which is really good. And obviously he can still make plays. And, you know, he's playing maybe a little bit different role um, than than he did a year ago when he was supposed to be more of a point guard for long stretches. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really important thing to understand, like how 
you know, how good is this? And if it's, if it's not a really good fit with Brogdon at, at shooting guard with the rest of these guys, then and that's important. Cause you know, again, like I think you're certainly not going to win title unless you kind of get all these guys to sort of synergistically work really well together. Right. Like um, if, if guys don't fit well in any respect, that could be, that could have a really tangible impact on how high, I know kind of how high the ceiling of this team is. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it bears watching, but again, I, I don't think a change is imminent given how well this team is playing. Um, but again, I mean, it may be certainly an injury that, that could make us see a lineup change at some point, right? If Brogdon has an injury, then I think it'll be interesting to see how, um, if they play much better or worse, but you know, even last year, when Snell was starting, the starters eventually started to struggle with slow starts as well. So it's not like there's some you know magic thing that only Brogdon lineups can can struggle with starts. But um, you know, again, like hopefully it turns around and you know that they can they can turn the first quarter into a, a positive one as well. But um, obviously, if they can continue to just be crazy good the remaining three quarters and you probably live with it too yeah that's what i was just gonna i mean that that's the part that i really struggle with is like well if the second quarter is where you do your damage does it matter that you start slow like my like i want to say yes because i feel like you know you can get behind the eight ball and and really screw yourself over if if you keep digging yourself these monster holes in the first quarter but also if you're gonna bury teams in the second quarter well maybe that's okay i don't i really struggle with this um but i do think there's there's to me some interesting stuff there too uh because the bucks have largely also like put brogdon in some strange spots like where he's the guy that tides over the starters um which going into the year i would have never guessed right like Oh, bench unit with Malcolm Brogdon? That's okay. Um, That's not something I would really expect. And, you know, like we've seen those lineups have some okay days and have some rough days. And I I don't know, just kind of how the, the rotation has kind of shook out has kind of surprised me in some ways. Like I would have just never guessed that there would be a time where the Bucks would have all three of Bledsoe, Dedekumbo, and Middleton off the floor. And there has been times uh, where that has happened. So I, I don't know. It's it's just kind of weird. But we can keep an eye on it and, and kind of see what happens with all of that. But yeah, I mean, uh, there's no denying that the idea that, you know, pretty much your entire starting lineup needs a contract is going to hang over this season. Like that's just going to be how it is. And, you know, you're going to have to ask some difficult questions. I know last week uh, I had written something about Malcolm Brogdon over at the athletic Wisconsin. And it immediately led to people asking me like, Oh, who do you want to keep Brogdon or Bledsoe? And I was like, give me contract numbers. And then I can uh, attempt to answer that question because that's really what matters here. And, you know, Bledsoe has turned into, you know, I think a really solid player this year where he's really just accepting his role defensively and uh, doing a nice job offensively, distributing a little bit more, not doing some of the things that drive you crazy offensively to the same extent that he used to. There's still some stuff uh, and there's still sometimes defensively where he ends up falling asleep for a little while. But, 
you know, those things that, that really annoyed people, I think have largely dissipated. And then, you know, with Brogdon, okay, he fills a role, he shoots 40%, he can get to, or 40% from three, he can get to the rim. Uh, those all seem like nice things, but at what price are they nice? And I mean, to me, I think that's kind of where the really interesting question is, is, you know, like, who do you think you can have room for? Do you think you can have room for both and go into the luxury tax? Like, how do you, how do you try to do that? How much is Brooke Lopez worth? Um, do you think you can find another big that can do things similarly to Brooke Lopez and what he's doing this year? Uh, I mean, the numbers would say right now that you can't, uh, you can't find someone like Brooke Lopez, but you know, maybe Mike Boonholzer's system can just create another guy. We saw John Henson uh, kind of have uh, a renaissance as uh, a, totally like as a space the floor big that also blocks some shots still like maybe maybe Mike Boonholzer can do it again with a different cheap big um, at center so I don't know there's gonna be a lot of questions and they're all gonna kind of linger over uh, the proceedings injury stuff go on I I would just add my view on like Bledsoe versus Brogdon um, I really doubt Brogdon will ever be as good especially in like a point guard sense um, as Bledsoe is right now. However, yep. the tough part with Bledsoe is, is Bledsoe going to be this good, you know, the next, mm-hmm. I mean, Bledsoe being this good next year, probably very reasonable, but you know, then he's going to be hitting 30 and I mean, Bucks have been very lucky. He has not had injury problems here, but he does obviously have a history of, um, injury problems, especially with, um, he's got a half a meniscus, especially with his knees. Uh, and so that's, that's gotta be a concern kind of long-term. Um, and obviously not that Brogdon doesn't have his own kind of, you know, especially with his foot, like maybe he has some questions too longer term, but obviously he's also younger than Bledsoe. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough. Cause, and I was, um, our friend Dean Manion actually, I think, and I think, I remember this correctly, Dean. So just tweet at me if I get this wrong. But I think Dean made a comment the other day where he's basically like, well, he views Brogdon as basically like kind of a like undersized small forward. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if you watch Brogdon try to get over screens um, and high pick and rolls defending point guards, that kind of makes sense. Like he's really bad. Yeah. It's almost like he's too like strong and big to get over screens or something like that, you know, yep. um, like he's too wide or something. Like he really struggles with that. Like Bledsoe when he's engaged is, is very good at it. Um, and the fact that he's like physically smaller, I mean, he's obviously really strong, but he's quicker and smaller is probably kind of helpful in, in doing that. Whereas mm-hmm. Brogdon just gets like, you know, stuck on screens a lot more noticeably than, than Bledsoe does. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's maybe one thing that is concerning is like, not just like if you, not just picking Brogdon over Bledsoe, but if you're picking Brogdon over Bledsoe, you're kind of implicitly saying he's our point guard. And especially defensively, I just don't know, especially in a scheme that doesn't emphasize any switching at all. Cause like, to yep. me, that's kind of like Brogdon's value as a point guard defensively would be that you can just switch him onto much bigger players given he's really strong and has a good wingspan and all that stuff but you know kind of like it's sort of like the reverse of Thon size wise like Thon's value is in large part because he can switch and move with smaller guys Brogdon I think a lot of his value defensively is because he can switch onto bigger players and you know relatively speaking hold up better than you know a smaller point guard can um, but if you're not doing that if you're making him just go over screens and try to like you know basically catch up with with smaller guards 
um, it doesn't really seem to be maximizing. But, you know, again, like this is sort of a, a to be continued type thing. One only other thing I'd add on Brogdon, I feel like if I was, and I I need to look, put or pull some numbers on this. So if somebody wants to be our research intern and help us out with this, by all means, um, I'd be curious what Giannis's numbers are with Brogdon versus not Brogdon. Because again, just like I test, um, the numbers that the um, lineup numbers, I think show Brogdon and Giannis together are like plus five or six points for 100. Pretty much like the same as just Brogdon's regular lineups. Like Giannis is definitely less effective lineup wise with Brogdon. Um, but I'd be curious what Prog- what Giannis's numbers look like. Cause you know, Brogdon is probably the, the guy that like is the, you know, Jared Bayless Memorial guy that people get mad at for not passing the Giannis enough uh, award winner. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like Bayless, like was the guy who like felt like he didn't pass up to Giannis enough, or he felt like he kind of dwelled on the ball too much in half court when Giannis was around. Um, and now maybe Brogdon has taken that title. And again, like you know, top one percent type problem given the way the Bucks are playing right now. But um, I, I would be curious to know, like Giannis, notably more effective, you know, as a scorer. With Giannis on the floor and Malcolm Brogdon off the floor this season, the Bucks are a plus. Th- 32.1. The offense scores 130.7 points per possession, uh, per 100 possessions, and the defense gives up 98.6 points per 100 possessions. Um, if you put Brogdon on the floor with Giannis, uh, these stats, courtesy of our friends over at Clean the Glass, um, if you put those two on the floor together, Uh, They are a plus five on the season. Offense scores 112 points per 100 possessions, and the defense gives up 107 points per 100 possessions. So your intuition was correct there. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and guess that Giannis also scores a little bit better when the offense is cranking out 130 plus points per 100. But um, yeah, so anyway. There are a lot of like really funny numbers like that right now. Um, so it's going to be interesting as sort of the sample size grows, how those evolve. I mean, you expect, you know, especially some of these crazy high numbers to like regress a little bit. But hey, I don't know. I'm I'm cool if they don't, you know, that's if Giannis, <laughs> Giannis without Brogdon wants to be 130 some points for 100. That's that's cool. With me. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Um, OK, uh, a couple things here just to kind of wrap things up. Um, I would like to state that. I feel terrible for John Henson. Um, I I just can't I I can't imagine, you know, kind of having that injury, and again, like a left wrist injury that is going to sideline you. Like you'll probably still be able to run. You'll probably still very much be able to feel like an athlete, but you know, your left wrist won't really work. So he'll have to get surgery on that. And like just for a dude that you know, found a way with a new coach to kind of reinvent himself. Like, it's really tough. Like, just as a human being, kind of thinking about him going through that. Uh, Because, you know, obviously, you you do have to put in a level of work to to get yourself in the spot that he was and, you know, find a way to hit some shots uh, this season. And, you know, shout out to him for, for being able to do it. But, this is going to be a, a quite the, I mean, I think it's just going to be really interesting to watch because I, I, 
I just feel bad for him. I, I will say that he, he kind of found a way that, you know, we always talk about, well, you know, if you go with Thon, you're going to get the three point shooting. Uh, and, you know, maybe you're not going to get as much uh, consistency on the shot blocking and like, okay, he's kind of this change of pace. And then John Henson kind of found a way to make that disappear uh, and, you know, find a way to hit some shots. And again, I think by the end he was shooting like just like 30% from three. So it wasn't like, it was he was Brooke Lopez or something, but he, he did kind of find a way. So I will say um, I feel very bad for him there. And then I think the other thing that's interesting with DiVincenzo out for a little while is obviously we got to see Sterling Brown a little bit more. He got 10 minutes uh, against the Bulls, three of which came in garbage time, but seven minutes came with like, you know, real rotation kind of looks and, um, you know, that's a guy that I think both of us had kind of thought could take a jump under Mike Boonholzer. Um, didn't do a heck of a lot when he was in the game uh, against the Bulls uh, in that time. And, uh, you know, I think this is kind of his chance. Like, as a second rounder with a new coach, like, you hate to say that, okay, you get these couple of games while Dante DiVincenzo is out to prove yourself. But I think in many ways, like, this is this is the way to get your foot in the door. And if you do well during this time, okay, then maybe you're, you're in consideration for some more minutes or maybe you're in consideration. Uh, maybe Buzz going to reconsider, you know, going smaller a little bit more often and being able to put Sterling Brown on the floor. Like I, I do think this is kind of a, a, a biggish moment for him. And, you know, we've seen him go back and forth between uh, the herd and the bucks and, and get to do some of that. And I would say that Mike Boonholzer probably values that time quite a bit. And, you know, you, you're going to want to make sure you play well with the herd, which he did the other night when he was there. So um, I, I think this is a little bit of, of Sterling Brown's kind of chance to, to impress the coaching staff and, and we'll see if he does it in the next couple of games. Yeah, the impression I get from Sterling, I don't. It doesn't seem like Sterling wants to shoot threes in the same way that like Connaughton, Divincenzo, and Snell want to shoot threes. If that makes sense. Which is strange because he shot forty four percent from three in college. Yeah, although he was also not a really high volume guy in college, so it's almost like he's a little too selective. Uh, I think he's zero for six in like forty minutes or something like that this year. So I mean, you know, again, not like a. I mean, that's an okay you know rate uh in terms of um actually no it's in in uh over 50 minutes so yeah it's it's not a high rate of threes attempted um so far so i think sterling's just gotta kind of let it fly <laughs> he's over six yep. from three um so far this season and in, in a very small sample size um so i think you know again like if he's going to take anything from watching like divincenzo who obviously just just showed up and you know took his spot in the rotation basically um it is that don't be bashful, right? Um, play, play aggressively. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what this this um, this offense is predicated on. So, um, obviously, you know, people who listen to us know we're you know we were big Sterling Brown fans um, heading into the season. And but hashtag Sterling you know, Stan. Yeah, uh, lockdown Sterling Brown, downtown Sterling <laughs> Brown. Not a lot of downtown in Sterling Brown these days. No, uh, no, there's not. No. Um, so. Um, Turn that frown upside down. Sterling Brown um, is what we hopefully will see over the next um, next week or so as as Divincenzo kind of comes back. And, and again, I mean Divincenzo. I mean, what shoot twenty five percent from three? I mean, yeah, he's he's not bashful, and but that's not why he's been getting minutes. It's because he's been doing other stuff too. And again, I think Sterling can do. Um, I don't think Sterling has necessarily the the floor game as far as like passing um, that Divincenzo has, but he's bigger and stronger. 
um, than Dante yeah. is. So, um, you know, there's some, definitely some things he can do um, that, that hopefully can kind of help him earn some minutes and, or at least like, you know, give the coaching staff reason to think that, you know, he's, he's got a chance to, to fight and, and earn some minutes here. Cause obviously Brown and Connaughton or sorry, Snell and Connaughton are playing very well and not, you know, certainly they're not giving really any room for, for him to kind of steal minutes there. So it's been good to see him playing with the herd, uh, Christian Wood playing with the herd last couple of games just to get them reps. Um, and Wood, obviously he did play briefly in garbage time on Friday. Um, you know, obviously Thon is, is right now ahead of him in the rotation, but you know, again, like, you know, the, both Thon and Wood, I mean, the, Henson being hurt is obviously it's, you know, you hate to see it for Henson, but this is, you know, why you have these guys laying around, right? Because yep. people get hurt and you want guys who can compete and, and, and do some stuff. So, um, so yeah, it, and, and I think with Thon, like, I think the big thing for me with Thon is like, I mean, he's been making th- some threes, so that's really encouraging. It's kind of ironic because we've talked about how he may have kind of a relatively bigger adjustment defensively because they're not just going to switch um, defensively. We've seen more... the, the block on the Veen. It happened on a drop. Uh, it was a drop. Yeah, he was- dr- it was his own drop and he, and he yeah, managed to get a block there. So good for him. Yeah. So it's like he has to make kind of a bigger adjustment defensively, but then is there anybody who needs to make less of an adjustment offensively <laughs> than Don? Right. I mean, cause all he, all he was able to do, he can't catch the basketball. So all he did was, you know, basically shoot threes last year. And now pretty much that's all he really needs to do. Yeah. So, um, so hopefully that part at least comes, comes somewhat easily. And um, I think really it's, you know, again, like you don't want to like overstate like plus minus as a, as a stat, but you know, ultimately the Bucks just have not been good when Thon's been on the court, other than you know the couple playoff appearances he's had. Um, and so I think that's really sort of a big question. It's like you know the proof is going to be in you know can you can you win with him on the court? Because I know he can do can make small plays, he can stretch the floor, do some of those things. But um, you know I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, the Bucks have been so good overall. You'd hate to see losing Henson as being something that like you know, really, really hurts you. I mean, we were joking about this the other day, but, you know, as much as you don't want to lose Henson and he's done some, some nice things, especially shooting the ball. I mean, look, losing John Henson, like should never be the thing that derails your season, right? You know, you, no. you have to be able to overcome the loss of John Henson and, you know, if Thon Maker can't do it, if Christian Wood isn't an NBA player, whatever, then, okay, guess what? You've got Ursan, you've got Giannis, go figure it out, right? Like <laughs> there, are, there are other ways you can do this. And, um, Again, I'm I'm curious. We haven't needed to see much of the kind of smaller lineups, um, but I don't act like that's not an option because certainly it could be in some in some instances, uh, especially if um, if the Bucks are you know again having games where um, they're struggling to uh, to defend the three point line. So anyway, should be interesting and certainly against the Nuggets. I don't know if that's a natural transition point. The Nuggets could be a, t- a team where they struggle to defend the three point line a little bit, um, but. Uh, should be a good test, especially having just beaten them on the road to face them again uh, at home and hopefully get a similar result on Monday. I do think with all of these guys getting chances, like, you know, all of the questions that we referenced while talking about Malcolm Brogdon, the starting lineup, like, you know, all those questions maybe aren't as pressing if these guys can play. Like if Sterling Brown can prove to be a rotation player. Does anyone feel terrible with having Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown and Tony Snell as your shooting guard rotation next year? I don't think I would. I think if, if 
you know, what we've seen from Pat Compton, what we've seen from Tony Snell, add Sterling Brown into the mix. And, you know, you can get 60 minutes out of those guys. So you can also cover uh, for Chris Middleton when he's out at the small forward spot in addition to, you know, the 48 that you need to cover at shooting guard. I think that could be fine. And, you know, that makes for a, a much more cost effective uh, look at, at, at filling that role um, as opposed to giving Malcolm Brogdon $10 million or, or whatever it may be. So I think that's an interesting spot. And then it's the same thing at center. Like, you know, if Don Maker can prove to to be okay in some minutes, okay, maybe if it, if the bidding gets crazy for Brooke Lopez, which I don't think it will. I don't, I don't think centers are going to get paid like that. But, you know, a center that shoots 40% from three on nine three-pointer times for 36 minutes, maybe he does. Maybe he does get paid well. Um, so, you know, if Thaumaker can prove to to be something, you have Thaumaker and John Henson in the final year of his deal. Okay, maybe you're okay there at center. And again, it's probably not ideal to have any of those kind of situations, but just the fact that, you know, you're going to get chances here to prove that, uh, you know, the team can feel a little bit better if they need to go in a different direction or prices get too get too high for all of these guys that they can feel comfortable like okay you know we don't want to let you walk but you know we feel like we have guys that can kind of fill the role and and can find a way to help us you know stem the tide and get through this so um i think that to me is, is going to be really interesting to watch in the next week or so uh nuggets bucks bucks won 121 114 on i mean a, a basketball on cocaine as i as i referenced it uh when when i was in denver i mean i think that's that's pretty much what it was that night it was insane shot making uh it was a team in the nuggets that went 18 of 38 from three somehow the bucks almost matched them from three just by taking four fewer so 17 of 34 from deep for the bucks that night and they somehow managed to win a back-to-back in altitude in denver I think this is going to be a really good game again. Uh, again, this is one of the top three teams in the Western Conference as of now. Um, again, uh, as we're recording, I don't think it can change before then. I don't think there's anyone left that plays in the top three. So uh, this is a, a really good basketball team in the Nuggets, and I think it'll be a really good test. And I'm hoping to see a, a really good basketball game eight days after they had played each other the first time. Yeah, interesting. Looking at the Nuggets, we talked about um, our skepticism of their defense, uh, given that they were kind of playing like the old Bucks defense. And mm-hmm. um, they've dropped off a few slots since we last saw them, but they're still via cleaning the glass, I think number five in defensive efficiency. But you kind of take a look under the hood a little bit, look at like the shot distribution they're giving up. They are giving up the second most shots at the rim. Forty Over 40% of opponent shots come at the rim. They are giving up the fewest long mid-rangers and the fewest mid-rangers overall. And they're giving up the most corner threes in basketball. It's basically, again, the Jason Kidification of the Nuggets defense, which, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that works out. I've seen that movie before. I've seen that movie before. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll see kind of how, how all that sort of shakes out. Um, so far, they're kind of getting by because they're very good on the defensive boards. They are above average in terms of effective field goal percentage allowed and um, turnovers forced. But again, the effective field goal percentage allowed number, they're kind of fighting math here because of the volume of corner threes and shots the rim and very few mid-rangers they give up. Um, they've also been below average in terms of free throw, opponent free throws. So um, 
yeah, this is a team that, um, again, I think is going to be very good, but it's going to be good because their offense, not because their defense. And so um, you would certainly hope that the Bucks can, again, put up a ton of points. And I think really the question is probably just, um, you know, do you just have a cold shooting night? That would probably be the main thing that would stop you from um, scoring a lot of points. And then, you know, in terms of winning a basketball game, it's really just, you know, do they are they just too difficult to stop, you know, themselves, right? And we saw Millsap and Jokic, especially in the first half, hit a ton of threes. Um, but overall, obviously, um, you know, Bucks were able to kind of lock down and and hold them down late in that game in Denver. And um, you would hope that that maybe the Bucks can pull off something similar again on Monday night because um, you know you get the Nuggets on Monday. And then who do you have on Wednesday? You have somebody. You have the Blazers on Wednesday. So you got a couple of you know <laughs> tougher games. Oh yeah, the um, best team in the Western Conference at the moment. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, if if you can win, I mean, even if you just split those two games, I think that's that's okay. Um, the main thing is you just obviously don't want to lose like two in a row, right? You don't want to drop both yep. those games at home. Um, so uh, especially after the Bulls game, hopefully this Bucks team comes out um, kind of scared straight a little bit. Um, and I'm definitely going to be curious to see how they come out, especially early in the game, um, after the Chicago game, like, do they, you know, come out with a, a little more eye of the tiger, um, <laughs> uh, against Denver. Cause uh, again, like you play the way they did against the bulls in the first half against the nuggets. I, I don't think you're coming back and winning that game. You know, the, the, these are not the Chicago bulls we're talking about. Yeah. After going seven and zero to start the season, the bucks have gone every other, um, throughout this starting with the loss against the Celtics then winning against the Kings lost against the Blazers win against the Warriors lost against the Clippers win against the Nuggets lost against uh, the Grizzlies and then a win against the Bulls so um they got to find a way you know I think they've been talking about it this entire time is you know how do we string together wins again we did it at the start of the year we got to find a way to do it again so uh, Denver gives you that opportunity and you know if you lose if you lose that one, then, you know, you got to beat Portland and then, okay, you can probably put two together with Phoenix in town on Friday night. Uh, but then you have San Antonio on, on Saturday. So maybe that's a tough one. So, um, yeah, schedule not doing them any favors. I don't think, uh, this week uh, as you have four games in six days and you have two of the top three teams in the Western conference to start it off. And then a San Antonio team that's always tough uh, on a back-to-back on Saturday. So it should be an interesting week for the Bucks. We'll be with you the entire way. We'll be with you, of course, tomorrow night after the Bucks play the Nuggets. We'll see what happens there. So for Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you again tomorrow.